Come on, go church family. How you feel today? Make some noise if you feel good. You look good. Come on, can you get any louder than that? Come on now, there it is. Happy Sunday, everybody. Thanks for joining us uh, in person at our South Metro Atlanta campus. This is our broadcast campus, and uh, what an honor it is to have all of you in the room today. Many of you know this, but we're one church in multiple locations, so we've got a wild bunch in the room today, but we also are live streaming to our Germantown, Maryland campus family who are re-entering in person for the second Sunday in a row, so we thank God for that. They're meeting tonight at 6 p.m. in the uh, Metro DC area, so can we welcome everybody, and it's your extended family. Come on now. Come on, let them hear you from the South. Come on, give it up for Germantown. I love it. And then, of course, everybody watching online, love what God is doing through our online campus. Uh, we got people literally watching from all over the world. And so we welcome you, online viewers. Make sure you take advantage of the chat feature on whatever option or platform you're watching this gathering from. You need anything, you got a question, you've got a prayer request, you have a need. We got a great team right there to assist you, to pray with you, to be available for you. So we welcome everybody online today. And then we've got this weekly tradition where we give honor to the incredibly brave military men and women and all of the courageous first responders. Now, before you applaud for them, we give a lot of applause of appreciation, but I always like for this to be the loudest applause of appreciation for those who put their lives on the line to protect ours. Come on, right now, can you do that wholeheartedly? Come on, come on, there we go. Proud of you, praying for you, love you, God bless you. And uh, just one quick announcement before we jump into the message today. Uh, I've told you now for a couple Sundays that on Sunday, October the 4th, uh, we're doing what we call Vision Sunday here at Go Church. We do this two times a year. We kick off the new year with a Vision Sunday, and then sometime early fall, we come back with a Vision Sunday to update the church on all of the incredible things that God has been doing. In 2020, you don't need to know this because you already do, but 2020 has been quite the year, uh, but God has been really faithful to Go Church, and I'm excited to share with you some of the just overwhelming things that God has done through your generosity, through your faithfulness in serving, through the ministry of the church. It's gonna be a great day, a lot of uh, information that I think you'll be proud to know and proud to be a part of, and then also to give you some next steps. Now, this is really important, so hopefully you haven't tuned me out already. I wanna to talk to everybody that's a part of our South Metro Atlanta campus, because this is a pretty big announcement that you need to know about. Vision Sunday is happening in two Sundays, and we're calling it Back to Church Edition. So everybody watching online that you've not yet re-entered to church, I'm going to challenge you to come back to the house of God. Everybody in the room, give me a good amen right there. I'm not an angry preacher. You know that about me. But if we can go to Home Depot, we can go to the house of the Lord. I'm just going to say that. That's all I'm going to say. I saw y'all Waffle House. Come on now. So I'm calling you back to the church on Sunday, October 4th. Now, this is where our South Metro family, you need to know, because we're going to make a scheduling change that is effective on Sunday, October the 4th. We're going to manipulate our gathering times for our, our fall season, if you will. And in two weeks, we're moving those gathering times to 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., uh, for those of you here at this campus, this does not start next Sunday. If you come that early, we're just going to be here in prayer. And that's all right, too. And two Sundays, this gathering time change is happening to 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. And just a couple of reasons why. 
Uh, primarily, we want to continue to honor some social distancing guidelines. And for those of you in this gathering already, if you look around, the space is getting tighter and tighter each and every week. And so we hope to offset some of that attendance with changing our gathering times. For those that are coming to the 1130 gathering, that's the second one of the day. It's a little late in the afternoon. We feel like these are more optimal gathering times. This way, whatever gathering you choose to come to, you can be on your way before lunch and enjoy the rest of your weekend and Sunday. So that's one of the reasons. And then also because we want to put our Germantown campus family in a positive position to win. And so soon and very soon, we believe that Montgomery County, Maryland will be in phase three of reentry which would allow our Germantown family to go back into the movie theater because they're a portable campus. And we need to make sure that our broadcast campus is ready to send the live stream to them. So again, in two weeks, we're changing the gathering times for the fall season to nine and 10.45 a.m. If you got it, say, I got it. And then for Germantown until Montgomery County goes into phase three, you'll be six o'clock at our office space in the Clarksburg area and your campus pastor is giving you some more information. So please put this in your smartphone, write this down so you don't miss it. You'll get some social media updates. You'll get an email from the church. And if you've got any questions, feel free to contact the church office. All right, so you came for a, a word today. If you're ready for the word, say, I'm ready. We are in week number two of a series that we kicked off last Sunday. And we're calling it Break the Cycle. Break the Cycle. I, I want to give you just uh, for a moment, if I can, I'll, I'll keep you for about 35, 36 minutes. Before I really get into the meat of this message, I, I want to give you a little bit of a better understanding of how my, my mind and my heart works for sermon series preparation and, and messages that I feel like the Lord has put in my heart to bring to you. So at the beginning of each year, I look at that year as a spiritual journey. Are you with me so far? So for many of you, you've given me the beautiful privilege to be your pastor. It's the highest honor of my life, by the way, to be your pastor. For, for some of you, I'm, I'm your spiritual tour guide, if you will. So if we're on this spiritual journey together, then I feel like it's my responsibility to be pressed in close to the Holy Spirit, to hear what the Lord is saying to the family of God here at Go Church. And I want to do my best with every sermon series and with every message to pack, if you will, some essentials in your survival kit on this spiritual journey. I want to help you and equip you to make sure that you're able to navigate through the journey of life, the walk of life, and stay on the straight and narrow. Can you give me an amen right there? So I don't just like Google, hey, what's a cool sermon series? Or what's another conversation that we can have? I'm really pressing into the Lord to say, what does our church family need to hear? And I heard this pretty, pretty clearly early on in the preparation of the sermon series for 2020, that we needed to have an honest, open discussion and conversation about breaking the cycle of strongholds, breaking the cycle of addiction, Breaking free from generational curses. Y'all gonna help me or what? Hello? Breaking free from the temptation of sin that the enemy puts in front of us and walking a life of freedom for whom the sun set free is free indeed. And I want you to experience freedom that only comes from a relationship with Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, this series, this is my story. This is my testimony. Uh, this whole conversation is my life because before I met Jesus, listen to me, I was trapped. I was in bondage. 
I was living in sin. I didn't think that there was a way out. I felt like there was no hope. I was weighed down by shame and by guilt and by burden and by the challenges of life and everything that this world offered me as a possible way of escape at the end of the day was counterfeit to who could really set me free. And I'm getting ahead of my thoughts and my notes, but I'm just going to say it. There's only one who can set you free and his name is Jesus. Come on, Jesus. And whenever you experience Jesus, something profound happens. So let me tell you a little bit more about the idea behind this series. This is the thought. How, how do I stop acting like the person I don't want to be? How, how can I stop being this person that I, I no longer want to be? Now, I'm, I'm not going to talk down to you. I'm just going to talk at you. I think for many of us, there's been a moment in our life, and some of you may be there today, where you don't like the person that you are. You don't like uh, the man you've become or the woman you've become. You don't like the spouse that you become or the child that you've become or the boss that you've become or whatever position or title that you have where you look at the person staring back at you in the mirror and you have a conversation with yourself, either externally or internally, and you say, I don't want to be that person any longer. How, how can I stop being that guy? How can I stop being that woman and really become the person that God desires for me to be? Uh, before I met Jesus, and I'll share a couple parts of that story here throughout this message, but I had those conversations frequently with myself. JC, I don't, I don't like who you are. I don't like who you've become, and I certainly don't like the direction in which you're heading. Now, the idea of this is not new to any one of us. As a matter of fact, if you got your Bible, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter number 7. Uh, many of you know this, but it was the Apostle Paul who wrote the church at Rome in 57, 58 AD in a Greek city called Corinth. And there he pins his longest letter of all of the letters that he wrote in the New Testament. Of course, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And, and, and there's about, I don't know, I think almost 16 chapters in this letter in the book of Romans. So if you flip to chapter number seven, you're, you're like right at halfway almost, okay? And if you've, if you've never read the book of Romans, I, I really encourage you to read that because by the time you get to chapter seven, how do I say this? Paul is on a roll. I mean, Paul is just on a roll. And he's writing this letter for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's writing this letter because there was some confusion about the message or the gospel that Paul was preaching. And so there was some, there was some misinformation that made its way to the church at Rome. So Paul wrote a letter to put in writing where he stood on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the second reason that he wrote this letter was because he heard that some of those who were in the faith weren't acting like a believer or a follower of Jesus should. And so he was calling out some behavior. So if you get to chapter number seven, which is where we'll focus in on for a few moments, I want you to know this, that this is a continuation of Paul's writing in Romans six. They, they go hand in hand and he's talking to two groups of people. He's talking first to the group of people that would be considered to be under the law. 
or they are living according to the flesh. But then he's also talking to a group of people that are living under grace or they're walking by the spirit. And I want you to see some of the thoughts that Paul has. And you, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say amen. But I think if you would do a self-assessment, some introspection, you too would admit that you've been there. Paul starts off like this and he says, I've discovered this principle of life. He says that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Uh, here, here's what I want to do because I told you not to respond to me there because I, I don't want you to feel like anybody's looking at you. But let me tell you about Go Church. This is a judgment-free zone. We all got some stuff. Come on now. Let's read this together on the count of three, even if you're online or at Germantown. But I want to start in the highlighted yellow phrase together. Can you do that? Ready? One, two, three. When I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Now, I'm going to answer for you. That's me. That's me. He goes on and he says this. He says, now, I love God's law. I love God's word with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at, on the count of three, everybody say war. One, two, three. That is at war with my mind. And it is this power that makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he makes the statement. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. And then he presents this question and he says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and by death? Let me rephrase that thought without taking what the Apostle Paul is saying out of context. He says, who's going to break me from this cycle? Who, who's going to set me free from the bondage and the challenges and the temptation of sin? Who, who is it that will step in and, and give my life meaning and, and purpose and, and validity and, and a reason to be alive? And then Paul, in verse 25, he gives us the answer, and, and you already know this, but come on, he says, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that good today? Let's do this because I like the crowd participation. Let's read this whole verse 25 together. Ready? One, two, three. Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I was reading this multiple times uh, throughout this week in preparation of today. And in my personal journal, I wrote down four thoughts that kind of stood out to me based off of these few verses. Let me give it to you. I encourage you to write these thoughts down here. I, I believe the first thought is this. I believe that, that we all want to do what's right. I really believe that. Now, I know that there are some evil disgusting, vile people in this world that they may wake up on a day, any given day and say, you know, how much evil can I manufacture? But I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me, the people in this room, the people online, the people in Germantown. I really believe that all of us want to do what is right. I think that every day when you wake up in your mind and in your heart, you say, today is going to be a good day. Today, I'm going to make good decisions. Today, I'm going to break free or I'm going to move from the path. Today is a, a new day. And we really do this at the beginning of every year because we create New Year's resolutions. So this is, gonna, this is going to be my year. And then 2020 was like, gotcha. 
I think every day and every year we say, okay, I'm going to do what is right. I, I don't know anybody personally that when they wake up, they say, today I'm going to be the most evil person. Today I'm going to make the dumbest mistakes. Today anything that can be stupid, let it be done to me. I don't know anybody like that. I think all of us, we get up and we say, okay, I just want to live a good life. I want to live a right life. But here's the second thought. The challenge is, is that we are all at war with something. I don't want to get ahead of my sermon for next Sunday, but I think this is a good place to, to tell you that every day you wake up with the intention to do what is right, you have a choice to make. Ephesians 6 reminds us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. So every day inside of you, uh, listen to this old analogy, there are two dogs, if you will. One is the dog of the flesh. One is the dog of the spirit. And watch this, lean in. We'll talk more about this next Sunday, but let me just kind of set the ball up on the tee. Whatever dog you feed the most will always win. Because what you feed grows, what you starve dies. So every day, today is going to be a good day. Today I'm going to make right decisions. And before the corns on the bottom of your feet hit the floor, come on somebody, the enemy has already unleashed hell against you. He's already positioned temptation and challenges and struggle and stronghold. Why? Have you ever asked yourself why? Have you ever asked God why, why has it always got to rain on my parade? Why is life always so hard for me? Why, I've asked that question why repeatedly. And let me tell you why. Everybody lean in for a second. Because you are a threat to the kingdom of God. The enemy is terrified of you discovering how much potential you have, how much anointing you have, how much gifting you have, how much ability you have. Because if you can ever step into the fullness of the, the reason that God created you for such a time as this, the world will be changed forever. And so every day you wake up, I want to do what's right. And the enemy says, I'm going to do everything in my power to make you fall. This is the third thought that I got from Romans 7, those two verses. But we all want freedom. We all want to be free. It's one of the, the most beautiful things about Go Church, in my opinion, is the diversity of our church. At both of our locations and people watching online, uh, there are people from all over the world that call Go Church home. And, and many of you, like like the, the bishop of the house, my father-in-law, Pastor Alan Matura, whose family migrated from another country and they came to America. And for many of you and, and your history, your family lineage, that story is the same. Your family moved from another land, a foreign land, to come to America because th this, this is a land of freedom. It's a land of the free and the home of the Atlanta Braves. Come on now. People love to be in America because it is the land of freedom. But I'm not just talking about physical freedom. We have a desire to be spiritually free, to be spiritually free. None of us want to be trapped. None of us want to, my brother-in-law uh, who, who's passed away, but he was a rescue swimmer for the, naval, the Navy. He told me that when he was in the Naval Academy going through training that to be a rescue swimmer, they had to uh, secure him in a, a helicopter simulator, if you will, 
um, that they literally submerged in about 15 feet of water. He was trapped inside. He had to unbuckle himself, rescue all of the other passengers, and then bring them safely to, to shore. And I thought, why would you sign up for that? My, I think one of my greatest fears is drowning. You know, hold me underwater and then put a seatbelt on me? That's not training. That's just bad. None of us want to be, none of us want to be trapped. Some of you have been in a car accident where you've been trapped inside of that vehicle or God forbid an elevator stops working while you're on it. Come on now. Everybody with claustrophobia just went, oh Jesus, no, 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 no. Right? We don't want to be trapped. We all want to be free. Now, and you saw this with Paul said, but here's the good news. There is only one that can break the cycle. And it's Jesus. The reason that you stay stuck in the habitual pattern, the habitual lifestyle of bad decisions and wrong living and wrong thinking and wrong friendships and wrong relationships is because you think you can free yourself on your own power. I don't know who I'm talking to, but listen to me. You cannot. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, let me tell you, God looked over the elliptic of the earth. He saw his sons and his daughters living in bondage and in stronghold. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why he sent his son Jesus to this earth to be crucified on a cross. And may we never stop preaching about the blood of Jesus. Come on now. It is the, the your Bible says it is the blood of Jesus that covers a multitude of sin. I know we're still about halfway in this message, but listen to me. You will never be free as long as you think your freedom rests on your power and ability. You will always be in bondage. You will always be trapped. You will always drown if you try to free yourself. A few summers when I was in college, I got a part-time summer job as a lifeguard at a few youth camps. And uh, one of the things they teach you when you are becoming CPR certified or you're trying to become a lifeguard, they tell you that if anybody is drowning, you, you cannot save them while they're trying to save themselves. Why? Because they'll pull you under. You have to wait as a lifeguard until that individual, watch this, gives up. And the moment that they give up, you swoop in, and I did like David Hasselhoff, y'all. I'm telling you right now, you swoop in, and then you rescue them. And I, I want to tell you, because I don't know what your perspective of God is. I don't know what your view of God is. But I know that we, we angry fist God a lot, and we blame God for a lot. But I wonder if God is just waiting for you to say, okay, I'm done. I'm done trying. I, I, I'm done trying to free me. I've done everything I know to do, and now, this is what you need to say, now, Jesus, I'm letting you do what only you can do. Is that good today? Are we all right? Now, now here's the challenge, though. Let's, go, let's, let's keep going. Let's dive into this. Here's the challenge. The, enemy's not, the enemy doesn't take a vacation. The enemy, the enemy doesn't just throw one temptation or one addiction or one stronghold at you, and when you overcome that, he's like, well, I tried. No. Uh, Peter says that you have to stay alert, that you have to watch out because your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
I know that you know this, but I'm, I'm trying to give you some things, again, that will help you to break this cycle. It is the primary objective of the enemy. It's found in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. That is the primary purpose of Satan. This, this great enemy, the devil, is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, if that verse, John 10, 10, stopped there, we might feel a little defeated and deflated, but the verse goes on and says, but Christ has come that you might have life and life more abundantly, or another translation says that you might have life and live life to the full. See, the enemy is going to do everything he can every single day to get your attention and your devotion and your distraction away from God and on the things of this world. And listen to me. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, God's got a purpose for your life. And as long as God has a purpose for your life, you are hated by the enemy. The enemy hates your marriage. The enemy hates your children. The enemy hates your employment opportunity or your business. The enemy hates your goals and your dreams. And I'm not, I'm not trying to give him more credit than he deserves, but the enemy will attack you in your weaknesses and he will attack you in your strengths. And he will do everything he can with all of every bit of weaponry in his arsenal to get you off of track. It is our objective or desire though hopefully to walk the straight and narrow but you have to constantly be on alert it means you can't let your guard down you have to always watch out maybe you said it like this because if it ain't one thing it's another it's always something and here's what I know about the enemy and I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts here and I'll kind of step out on the ledge if you will with some vulnerability but the enemy is always trying to tempt us Every day is a day full of temptation. I don't remember. I, I wish, I wish my, my memory was a little better. You know, now that I'm 40, come on now. I read a book some, some years ago. It might have been post-college and in the book. And again, I apologize. I don't know the, the author or the title of the book. But in the book, it talks about that if you give the devil an inch, he'll kick the door down and take a whole mile and isn't that true? That the enemy is just looking for one moment, one moment that he can step in and watch and he will mess the whole thing up. That's why Peter says, you, you got to stay alert. Another translation, if I'm not mistaken, says you've got to be of sober mind. Sober mind, because the enemy is constantly trying to put temptation in front of you, hoping that you'll take the bait. And we talked a little bit about that in our last series on idols, that the enemy is always putting bait out there. I, I'm not going to take time to call some of you by name that I'm looking at face to face, but listen to me. There's a lot of hooks in the water hoping that you'll, you'll bite onto one. The enemy is always trying to put these lures in front of you, hoping that, well, well, if it wasn't the temptation of alcohol, then maybe it's the temptation of pornography. And if it's not, if it's not some like sin that you and I can identify that way, maybe it'll just be, you know, uh, just wrong thinking and you fall into depression. Whatever the enemy can throw at you to, to prevent you from pursuing a relationship with God, which ultimately prevents you from pursuing God's plan for your life, he does not quit. So stay alert. 
Watch out. So let me give you four truths about temptation. Really hope you're writing these down. Number one is this, and this is important. It is not a sin to be tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. Uh, let, me, let me say it to you like this. I'm getting my thoughts together here. It's only a sin if you give in. Oh, y'all not going to say amen to that. That was good. Some of you who got Twitter, you ought to tweet that right now. It's, all, it's only a sin if you give in. The, the temptation is not the sin. It's the partaking of the temptation that becomes sinful. Let, can I give you a, a real-time example? Is that all right? Has something ever happened to you? Maybe you were cut off in traffic or a coworker did something or say something, and immediately you just wanted to cuss. Thank you. I got one person. All of you are like, no, you think you're all that in a bag of chips. If you've got kids and you've ever stepped on a Lego at 3 a.m. going to the bathroom, you've thought about cussing. Come on, parents. Played in a, uh, in a golf tournament on a Friday. Got a couple holes into this tournament and the golf cart girl came around. And you know, Pastor JC, man, I'll talk to a tree. Come on now which I've done as a child, didn't have many friends, you know? So she shows up and I would strike a conversation. And so a few holes later, she comes back around and I was a little skeptical to, to take of anything from the golf cart girl because I thought that you had to pay for it. So the second time I saw her, she was like, no, it's all included. I was like, so let me get a Snickers and a Sprite. Come on now, how many of you know what I'm talking about? So then a few holes later, she shows up again and we're just kind of having a conversation. And now I realize all this stuff is free and if it's free, it's for me. Hello. And so she gets out of the golf cart and I'm standing there and I'm looking at, should I get a 10th tea protein bar? Should I grab, grab a Gatorade? All of a sudden she starts screaming. When she stepped out of the golf cart, she stood in a bed of fire ants and she's screaming. Now that's not the funny part. The funny part is this. She knew that it was a Christian charity event and she knew by then that I was a pastor and she wanted to cuss. I'm telling you right now. She was like, shh. And I'm just like, go ahead, whatever. And so I'll pray for you. We are. I'm I, I tried not to laugh, but when I got back in the car, because she was like, shh. So I just took my, if you don't know what words she was trying to say, good for you. Come on, Sunday school, all you Baptists, come on now, Sunday school work. So I just took my bottle of water. I just, I, I just poured her down with water. I mean, she was like, why are you pouring on my head? I was like, I don't know, but it was covered with water, you know, and I got back in the car and I left. But I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where the enemy puts temptation in front of you. And I'm giving you one example of many, but you bit your tongue, but you didn't give in. But all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit came up on the inside of you. And what, listen, what you used to say yes to, now you can say no to. Come on, that's breaking the cycle. We've been there. Now, I don't know what she said when I left, but in that moment, I felt freedom for her. Come on now. And I'm telling you, every day there is this temptation, but the temptation is not the sin. It's only a sin if you give in and every day the enemy is going to tempt you, but listen to me, but greater is he on the inside of you than he that's in the world. If you tap into the power of God through relationship with Christ and you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can say no. 
You can say, no, I'll give you some practical things in just a moment. But here, let me just give you a verse in Hebrews. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. The verse says, we have a high priest, that's Christ Jesus, who has been what? Tempted in every way. He was tempted, yet he did not sin. So counselors, and I got to move on because I got three other thoughts. Counselors will call what many of you are feeling false guilt. False guilt, false shame. Because the temptation will be there and you may get on the other side of it, but you feel guilty for even thinking that thought or feeling that opportunity or experiencing that temptation. Let me say something to you. I hope I can say this in a way that doesn't jack up my own theology. But if you're not being tempted in some way, shape, or form, are you really a threat? Like if, you, if you're like, well, I don't ever have any challenges, well, Man, for me, I know that I'm in the will of God when the enemy will not stop. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know that I'm doing what I need to be doing when I've ticked off the enemy and he won't relent from trying to get my mind and heart distracted from the things of God. But the temptation is not the sin. The sin is giving in to the temptation. But again, whom the Son set free is free indeed. Let me give you a second thought or truth about temptation. You're never above it. Um, how, how do I say it? Uh, let me say it like this. There, there is no person. There, there is no position. There, there is no prominence or level of prestige or whatever that gets you to a place where you have fully arrived that you will no longer be tempted. Let me say it to you like this. New levels, new devils. Dare I say, the higher you go, the harder it gets. So you're, you'll nev- you will never not be tempted until you stand before God. And then on that day of judgment, he'll either say, well done, thou good and faithful, or depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never even knew you. At every level of your life, the enemy will put temptation there. A few years ago, this is actually before... Kimberly and I moved back from Maryland to Georgia. So many of you know the story, but we planted Go Church in Germantown. And then uh, two and a half years ago, my father-in-law and mother-in-law transitioned from leadership as the senior leaders of this church and passed that beautiful baton of responsibility to us. And then we merged our two churches into one church in multiple location. And hasn't God been faithful? Come on, he's been so faithful. Before all of that, We lived in Maryland, and so uh, we would fly home on occasion. We considered this Noonan because Kimberly grew up here, and so this is her hometown. So we would fly here, you know, to visit our church family because we worked here for seven and a half years. A lot of backstory and all of that. If if you'd like to know the whole story, you should go to Move Track. It happens on the last Sunday of every month. Hear the whole story. So we fly down to visit, and on this one trip, we get on the, the, uh, the, the airplane, and we sit down. It takes off. We reach, you know, whatever the proper elevation or or feet is, maybe 10,000 feet or or above. And then, you know, the the flight attendants come around and they say, what do you want to drink? So they take our whole order, typically on a flight. It's ginger ale for the Whirly household. Come on now. 
And so we all ordered a drink and the flight attendant came back and she gave Kimberly her drink, London his drink, or her drink, and then Lakeland, my son, his drink. She forgot my drink. So again, I'm gonna talk to anybody. It wasn't a big deal, I wasn't upset. I wasn't about to cuss, come on now, just a drink. And uh, I said, she said, I'm so sorry I forgot your drink. I said, look, everybody forgets me. It's all right. She laughed and she goes, I got something for you. So she was gone about two or three minutes and she walked back by, she put her hand out and like she wanted to shake my hand, I shook her hand. And when we did that handshake, she exchanged a small bottle of Jack Daniels. And uh, now listen, some of you are like, what airline is that? Sign me up, where are we flying, baby? Um, but for me, that was a moment. You know, I don't have a lot of time to give you the full testimony, but you're talking about generational curse of alcoholism in my family tree that attached itself to me in high school and was literally pulling me away from God. Um, I lost a sibling because she drank about a bottle of vodka every day. I've, I've seen some other siblings, their whole family destroyed because of alcohol. And so for me, on the other side of that addiction, now I'm on an airplane, nobody knows me. At this point, we're 30,000 feet in the air. I got a small bottle of Jack Daniels in my hand and I heard the enemy say, it's one drink, one drink. Well, I'm telling you, my hands are shaking now. For you, that may not be a temptation, it may not be a big deal, but if you've, ever, if you've ever broken free, if you've ever broken the cycle and now the enemy literally puts it in your hand, in your lap. So I look over and my sweet wife, Kimberly, she's praying in the spirit, y'all. She is, she's praying and she looks at me, I'm crying, she's crying and she says, you know what to do. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> what do I do? And she's like, you know what to do. So I got up, I walked in the bathroom I opened that Jack Daniels and I poured it down the toilet. I did. Now hold on before you clap, because I know you want to clap. I poured it down the toilet and I'm crying in that small bathroom that's not made for a six foot, three inch male. Come on now. And I said, I am free. I am free. In the name of Jesus, I'm free. Come on. And if God can do that for me, God can do that for you. Whatever it is, what the point is this, is that I, I'm a pastor and you would think, well, surely you're not tempted. Are you kidding me? Every day the enemy hates that I wake up. Every day the enemy hates that I'm, I'm pursuing Christ and I'm pursuing righteousness. I got a long way to go, but I'm glad I'm not where I used to be. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians. So if you think you're standing firm, you ought to be careful that you don't fall. I'm coaching Lake's little baseball team. And uh, I tell the kids all the time, I'm the assistant coach. They don't trust me as the head coach. They made me an assistant coach. So I tell the kids all the time, you gotta be baseball ready. Be baseball ready, especially in the outfield because a lot, a lot of baseballs aren't getting hit to the outfield at this, at this age. But I tell them, you, you gotta be baseball ready. And you, you know why, right? Because the moment you're not baseball ready, guess what's gonna happen? The ball is coming to you, okay? It's coming to you. So I'll tell them you gotta be baseball ready. So listen to me. You gotta be spiritually ready. Because the moment you let your guard down, 
The moment you think that, well, I'm in a good place, I'm above temptation, you better believe, honey, that the enemy will come in and he will put traps in front of you because he wants to destroy you. You're never above temptation. Are you enjoying today? I know it's a little heavy, but are we good? All right, here we go. Let me give you two more thoughts and we'll be done. The third truth about temptation is this. God will never tempt you. I've listened to people say that before. Well, God is tempting me. God does not tempt you. God will test you all day, every day. You better believe it because you can't get a testimony without a test. Hello. Am I talking to anybody that's been through some stuff? But God doesn't tempt you. Write this thought down. It's not on the screen, but watch. God will test you to push you forward. Satan will tempt you to pull you backward. Testings come from God. Temptation comes from the enemy. God will never be the one to tempt you. Uh, Jesus' half-brother James says it this way. When tempted, no one should say what? That God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Again, temptation comes from Satan. Testing comes from God. One, which is test, push you forward in your relationship, and the other, which is temptation, will pull you backwards. And then let me give you the last one, because we're out of time. Number four is this, four truths about temptation. There is always a way out. I don't know who needed to hear that. I'm gonna say it again. There is always, always a way out. Now I feel that in my spirit. Rock bottom is not always the worst place to be because the only way out is up. There's always a way out. In my deepest, darkest, loneliest nights, when I felt like there was no way out, Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way. First Corinthians says it this way, that when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I wish I had more time, but I don't. Let me give you the practical. So how, how is the way of escape? You ready? It's James 4, 7. Submit, resist, submit, resist. John talks about how, how Jesus rather says in John's writing that he is, he is the this tree of life and we've got to stay connected to the vine in this tree of life that goes all the way back to the garden of Eden. And he says, you know, if, if you stay connected to me in me, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing and you wither up and you die. Listen to me. Some of you, again, you keep fighting your way out and it's not working. Today is the day that you can submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm gonna show you something really quick. I'll call it the process to breaking the cycle, but these are not steps. It's not like you start at one and end at the other. I think that, I think they all start with conviction here, but I think at some point this would be the proper way to experience freedom. And it is conviction. And that's what I pray this series does is I pack your backpack with some essentials, that survival kit that you get to know that there is a way out and that there's a little conviction to know that, on the, that there is a, another side to this, you know, that, that Christ died so that you could be free and you could inherit eternal life. It moves to confession where you say, God, he already knows, but God, this is that thing, or here are those things 
that I'm in bondage to, that I'm a prisoner of, I'm a slave to. Then you'd cry out in repentance and say, Christ, forgive me. Because if you confess your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and unrighteousness. And then I'm, I'm a big fan of counseling. I love you enough to tell you all of you need counseling. I don't know what you thought about that statement, but I believe it. We all need people that we can talk to and confide in. It goes to this level of accountability. Some of you are caught in the lifestyle you're caught up in because you've got poor friendships and relationships. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And Christ wants you to, to break this cycle. And, and I think even next week as we have an even deeper conversation, you'll see these processes becoming even more real as you get to know that there is a way out. This right now, sir, this moment right now in your life, ma'am, this is not the best of your life. This is just a chapter. The story's not finished. No, at the end of the book, let it be said about your life that you had a lot of storms, a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties, but you fought the good fight. You kept the faith. You finished the race and you experienced freedom. Can you give Jesus a big round of applause? Come on. Well, come on, if we're gonna do it, let's do it well, come on. Always close with a question. So do you know there's a way out? Do you know that, that there is a way out? And do, do you know what your next step is? Everybody's got a next step, right? So you can't just leave here and be like, man, that was so good. No, faith without works is dead. You got a part to play in all this. Do you know what that next step is? I'm telling you, that's why this church exists. I wanna help you in your journey, all right? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, may this word that touched the hearts and the minds and the ears of those in this room online and at Germantown, may it be a word that would change the trajectory of their life forever. May they know that there is a way out. May they know what their next step is. Let us as their church help them with that next step. And may they break the cycle. And may they begin to live the best of their life for the rest of their life beginning today. So Holy Spirit, move, move. Come on, Jesus, you can do this work. Touch hearts today. May generational curses be broken and let freedom come into hearts and homes all around. And may you get all the glory and you get all the honor and you get all of the praise. And the only name that has all authority, it's the name of Jesus. And the church said, amen.